Hello, welcome to my secret obsession. I'm Cherish Lively, and we're listening to Jane the Ripper by Danielle Nabert. This psychological suspense is a throwback to the early 90s and a tribute to women breaking through the glass ceiling. This novel pits two women against each other as Detective Maggie Shepard hunts for a serial killer who's taking out men. One reviewer says, It's easy to like the murderer. She has a reason for her rage and her targeting of victims. Let's begin the story so you can decide for yourself which woman you're rooting for. So get comfy, turn up the volume, and let's read a book. Jane sat on the toilet watching the tub fill with hot water. The steam from the water hovered over her head and misted towards the ceiling. When the tub was filled, she turned off the faucet and slipped out of her clothes. She folded each article neatly, then laid it into the clothes hamper, where other neatly dirty clothes lay folded also, as if ready for the next day. Jane slowly slipped her body into the water, sliding herself down into it, not feeling the extreme hot water wash over her. She picked up the washcloth and proceeded to scrub the soap into it. Gathering it into a full lather, she started to scrub herself clean, beginning with her legs. She rubbed vigorously, not noticing her legs slowly sweating from the heat and the pressure she put on them. She reached between her legs and started to scrub there. She pushed harder on herself, her breathing getting faster and faster. Her hand kept moving, as in a panic, and her buttocks started moving with the motion of the cloth. She felt the warmth of her orgasm overtake her, and she relaxed. The hot water was cooling down to a comfortable level. Jane leaned her head against the tub's side. Her eyes shut, and she drifted into an uneasy drowse. A memory. You dumb little bitch. A slap followed the curse. Jane fell to the floor. I told you to make Henry happy. He sure didn't look happy to me. Now did he? Jane tried to crawl away from her father, her face still swollen from the last assault. Where do you think you're going? David Lawrence kicked at Jane's side. This is another fade to black scene where Jane is sexually assaulted. Jane watched her father as he left the room. Her eyes pinched tightly. She felt fear as anger started to rise along with the bile. It felt good. She got a wash rag and bucket and cleaned the vomit. With each swipe, her anger rose and she began to think about how to get even. Back to the present. Jane opened her eyes. She sensed the water had gotten colder as she slipped back into her memories. She got out of the tub, drained the water, and watched it slip down into the drain, feeling her life was slipping away also down the drain. She didn't feel the cold draft from standing naked in the bathroom. Her shivering came from the cold memories. After the water was gone, Jane went about her cleaning the tub. She used Ajax and scrubbed hard. She dried off the sweaty walls and polished the faucets. Like her life, she thought. Cleaned and polished for now. Jane went to her closet and slid open the doors. She pushed aside her dull browns and grays. She wanted what was hidden in the back of her closet. She pulled out bright reds, purples, and pinks, tight skirts with high slits, mini dresses that clung to her slight body, and bras and panties with the crotches and nipples cut out. Jane picked out the pink bra and panty set. 
she slipped into them, liking the feel of freedom to the cut-out areas. She admired each provocative outfit, trying to figure out which one felt right for the night's entertainment. She finally decided on the red miniskirt and a low-cut black satin top. They placed them neatly on the bed and went back to the closet. Jane pulled a little footstool out to reach the top of the closet shelf. She pulled down boxes filled with wigs of different colors, length, and styles. She lined up each box neatly on the floor and sat down, legs crossed, and opened the boxes. Who was she going to be tonight? A vamp with short black hair, a vixen with long flowing red locks, or a wanton with swirly blonde hair. None of these fit tonight. She frowned as she wanted something special for tonight. In the last open box was a long, deep auburn wig with slight curls in the back. Jane put the rest of the wigs away and carefully stacked them back onto the shelf. She dragged out a larger box from the bottom for heels. She found her red stilettos right on top. She put her wig and shoes next to her outfit and then neatly reorganized her closet. She made sure that her brown and gray drab clothes were in front, one inch separating each article. Jane stood in front of the mirror, admiring the way she looked. She loved the feeling of the t-shirt on her open nipples. Jane pinched her nipples so they would push against the fabric. She slid her hand down her skirt and pulled it up a bit. She was happy that it only took a small push to feel a tuft of her pubic hair. She slipped a finger inside and sighed deeply. Her eyes closed for a moment. Then she quickly removed her finger and touched it to her lips. Not yet, she thought. Jane went over to the vanity table and finished her makeup. When finished, deep red lips smiled back at her. Her black-rimmed eyes with a whisper of gray sparkled with wickedness. She brushed through her auburn wig, leaving a tendril resting on her right breast. Satisfied, she looked like the perfect slut. In the bottom locked drawer was a large black bag. It clashed with her outfit, but Jane didn't care. The purse was a major attraction for the night ahead. She checked the contents. Blood-red lipstick, a powder case, and, of course, condoms. At the bottom were her tools, her tricks of the trade, a roll of duct tape, scissors, cord from the laundry line, soap, washcloths, and a small canteen of water. Tucked into the side pocket were plastic surgical gloves and a vial and needle. She opened up the vial and inserted the needle. She filled the needle with enough pancaronium, not enough to kill, but enough to hold her patient down without a struggle. Jane clasped the purse shut with a snap, turned off all the lights after a last check in the hallway mirror, and left humming a tune softly. She didn't even think about double-checking the doors. She felt very confident tonight. Chapter 9 A tall man walked into the police department with the aura of arrogance. His tight-fitting blue jeans and an unbuttoned flannel shirt showing a hint of his chest brought the attention of the women in the office directly to him. The men eyed him suspiciously, but he ignored them as his concentration was set on a woman typing across the room. He stopped at the desk and plopped himself down on the corner of the desk. Hello, Maggie. Maggie's eyes triggered first surprise, then anger. 
What are you doing here? You called me, he answered with a grin on his face. I did not call you, Maggie said, turning away from him, pretending to be busy with some papers on the desk. You called my office and I decided I was your man. My what? Maggie snapped. Your man, for the job. The man smiled broadly, his white teeth bright against his tan face. You decided. Didn't you think that maybe I would have preferred someone more professional? The man roared out in laughter. This isn't funny. Maggie could feel her face blushing with anger. Still the fiery redhead, I see. Of all the arrogant, bullheaded sons of a... The man quickly interrupted, his eyes gleaming dangerously. I think that's enough, Maggie. Let's call it a truce, okay? Maggie tapped her fingers on the desk. She frowned. He was the best she knew. But could she handle all the distractions that came along with him? She looked up at him. She didn't have time to hunt down another profiler. He'd have to do it. Truce, then. But Mark Crowns, I warn you, you screw up one time and out you go. Even if I have to do the kicking myself. I have no problem with that. Mark held out his hand. Truce, then. Asshole, Maggie thought. But she shook his hand. Fine. Let me introduce you to Chief Edwards. I better warn you. He is pretty reluctant to have you coming in. I heard about your chief. I'm sure I'll have him eating out of my hands in no time. You never change, she said, and motioned for him to follow her. She muttered under her breath while walking to Edward's office. I'm sure you can have anyone eating out of your hands when you're done with them. What was that? Mark asked, smiling broadly. He had heard the mutter, but pretended not to. To be truthful, I don't understand this much, Edwards admitted. It's really easy when you get the basics. Mark held out his cigarette package. Edwards waved at him. Mark lit up one and offered one to Maggie. She shook her head. Mark raised an eyebrow and put the cigarettes back in his pocket. Mark took a deep drag and watched the smoke curl up above his head before he continued. First, profiling has been around for quite a while. It actually started in World War II. The Office of Strategic Services employed a psychiatrist to profile Adolf Hitler. Eventually, profiling became a source throughout the world. Without profilers, cases such as the Boston Strangler and George Metesky wouldn't have been solved. I'm sure that possibly they would have been caught, but without a profile to work with, it would have taken much longer, leaving the police with more dead bodies. So what's that got to do with our killer? Edwards asked. Mark crushed his cigarette out on his boot and then put the butt in his jean pocket. Criminal personality profiles are educated attempts to provide the investigating team with specific information as to the type of criminal they are looking for. And for your case, this murderer would have to be dissected down to the bare essentials because I am coming in at the middle of the investigation. Profiling involves a biographical sketch based on the information taken from the crime case. I then integrate it with known psychological theories. I can't solve the case, but I can help your office gain knowledge of whom you're looking for. Sounds like hocus-pocus to me, Edwards replied. 
It usually does until one sees it in action. But I can guarantee you a reasonable image of your murderer in 48 hours. 48 hours, you say. Give or take an hour. Okay, do your little magic trick. Edwards lit up a cigar. I'm sure interested to see what you can come up with after all my men couldn't. And women. Sorry, Shepard. Maggie nodded at Edwards and stood up. Mr. Crowns, if you will follow me, I will give you all the information we have up to now. Mark smirked at Maggie's usage of formality. Certainly, Miss Shepard. He opened the door. After you. It was nice meeting you, Chief Edwards. Maggie walked past Mark. She stepped hard on his foot as she passed him. He had stressed that miss for personal reasons, and she let him know that she knew what he meant. Mark's face had deep creases in it. He slapped each photo down with disgust. He sighed heavily. They should have called him from the beginning. These photos were bad. Not just bad, but terrible. The lighting was way off. The angle's all wrong. He wasn't going to get any information from them at all. He wondered if the medical examiner had taken any photos. He supposed not, in this small rinky-dink town. He walked over to the water fountain and drank deeply. He wiped his mouth on his shirt sleeve. Maggie had been watching his face out of the corner of her eyes. She put down the paper she was reading. Something the matter? she asked. Photos. He picked up one out of the pile. She couldn't see anything wrong with it. What's wrong with them? Everything and nothing. Mark held up the photo he had to the light above. Come again? Mark threw down the photo on top of the others. Who took these? Some high school kid? Excuse me, Mr. Crowns. We may not have all the professional equipment that you're used to, but we get by. I see nothing wrong with any of these. Touchy, touchy. Maybe you're the photographer. Maggie didn't respond. In fact, she was the photographer for most of those photos. She had always taken photos for the others in homicide before, so she decided to do her own also. Mark realized too late that he was correct about her taking the photos. He walked over to Maggie. Sorry, I shouldn't have said what I did. I've heard that one before. Maggie whipped around to face him. Mark gently touched her cheek. She pulled away from him. Bittersweet memories pushed through her mind with that one touch. She shuddered. Maggie? Mark called her name softly. Maggie stared at him. No, she thought. She wasn't going to fall for him again. He was a player, and he had played enough with her in college. Listen, Mark, don't even start. She didn't even hear herself drop the formality. Let's go down to the coroner's office. She has plenty of professional pictures that will be more to your liking. Mark watched Maggie's back while she straightened out the photos. Her hands shook. He remembered with that one small touch. But his memories were all good, and they brought up old feelings that he had thought were long gone. He knew he had to be slow with her. He had hurt her years ago, and he was partially here to make up for that. He could have let Andrews come down, but he knew Maggie would be here, and he had something he had to ask her, something he had been meaning to ask her years ago. He smiled at her when she turned around. I don't know what you're smiling at, but you can help with these. 
She held out a bunch of files. We'll leave them on my desk and then go see what Susan has for you. Susan? The coroner. Yes, the coroner. Okay, let's see what your Susan has for me. He pointed at the photos that laid on the table. They certainly couldn't be any worse. Chapter 10 Mark shivered as he walked through Susan's door. He always felt apprehensive about being surrounded by dead people. For some reason, painters had always painted the walls that sickly green. There always seemed to be less light also. The smell was the worst, though. That sweet smell of formaldehyde and death lingered in the air. This place was no different. Maggie shimmied past between two slabs, one empty, but the other one used. A white sheet covered the body. She watched closely for any signs of movement. She didn't need Susan's scaring Mark the first time they met. She knew how Mark felt about coming down here. She turned to watch him follow her. She hid a grin. His face was slightly green, and it wasn't a reflection of the green walls. Maggie remembered the last time she saw him around cadavers. They had attended an autopsy, and when the medical examiner had made the first cut, Mark had fainted. She couldn't help it anymore. She broke out laughing as Mark stumbled and caught himself from falling and touched one of the sheet-covered bodies. He looked like he was going to faint again. Mark glared at her and kept his head high. His throat was constricted, and he thought he was going to be sick. But he swallowed back the bile and walked past Maggie, who was holding her sides with laughter. Susan heard the laughing and poked her head out of the office. She saw Maggie standing to the side, and a very good-looking man, who right now looked very ill. Hello there, Susan called out. Susan, Maggie struggled to gain control. This is Mark Crowns. From the FBI? Yes, if you believe the sickly color he's turned into. Maggie started laughing again as Mark glared at her. Now, Maggie, that's not nice. Please, Mr. Crowns, come into my office. Susan smiled at Mark. Mark smiled slightly at this woman. He couldn't believe that this was the horrid Susan Jones Maggie had warned him about. This woman was very attractive and had manners. Maggie could take a few lessons from her. He gave Maggie a wicked glare as he walked into the office. Maggie quit laughing, but kept her silly grin on her face. She followed Mark to the office. Susan grabbed her arm. You didn't tell me he was gorgeous, Susan whispered. I didn't? Well, I guess I never noticed, Maggie murmured. Mr. Crowns, please sit down. Would you like some freshly brewed coffee? Thanks, and please, it's Mark. Mr. Crowns is my father. And humorous, too, Susan whispered to Maggie. Whatever, Maggie shrugged. She didn't like the way her friend was eyeing Mark. She felt a tug of jealousy, but shook it off. Mark didn't belong to her. He was free, and if he didn't take that smug look off his face, she might let him be with Susan and let him be the butt of her practical jokes. Maggie poured her own coffee and plopped down in a chair across from Mark. So, Mr. Crowns, I mean Mark, what can I do for you? Susan was openly flirting with her large brown eyes and ready smile. I was wondering if you had any better photos that I could study. It seems the police department doesn't have the proper equipment for decent photos. I also would like to have a look at your autopsy reports, if you don't mind. 
Why, of course. Here. Susan handed him a file. I was just going through them when you came in. Susan looked at Maggie and winked slightly. Maggie wondered what devious trick her friend was up to. Susan knew they were coming down to look through things, and she suspected Susan stuck pornography pictures amongst the photos. She leaned back in her chair and sipped her coffee. Let Mark Crowns be the blunt of one of Susan's jokes. She couldn't wait for his expression. Susan caught Maggie's relaxed pose and knew something was up between her and Mark. She quickly snatched the porno picture she had hid amongst the others and tossed it into a drawer. She didn't know what these two had going on, but she wasn't going to throw a monkey wrench in it. She was going to flirt outrageously with this man and see if it would shake up Maggie to knock some sense into her. If you look here, Mark, each victim has identical markings. As you can see by the cuts on the nipples, the cut is very precise. On the first two victims, there were marks under the nipples, but they're almost like an afterthought. Here, on the third, there are typical slashings. I think the killer is getting more out of control. Good observation. What about these? Mark pointed at the photos of the victim's face. This is one clean, quick swipe. This is the worst of the wounds. The others are made just to hurt and scare. But these, Susan pointed at the mouth, these were meant to be the kill point. How's that? These men didn't die from any of the other wounds. Oh, I'm sure they would have bled to death eventually. But the clear cut across the mouth drowned them. The blood drained back and into the lungs. And what do you think of the penis being cut off? Susan blushed. Maggie's eyes opened wide at the surprising blush of her friend's face. I don't know why they were cut off. I'm assuming it means something to the killer. Interesting. But a question. Why didn't they just turn their heads to spit out the blood? I asked myself the same question. On the second victim, I found a small puncture mark behind the ear. Maggie interrupted her. You mean Buddy? Susan chose to ignore Maggie's remark. She picked up a blown-up photo of an ear. Here, it's hardly noticeable, but with this blow-up, you can see it better. I took some samples, but I haven't got the lab report back yet. What do you think the killer used? Mark liked this intelligent woman and wanted to hear her opinion. I can't give any guesses, but I have one thought. And what's that? Mark asked. I think he must have some medical knowledge. He knew that I wouldn't be looking for any puncture marks that were hidden. If they were, like, in an arm or a leg, I would have noticed. No, this person knows what they're doing. Maggie spoke up quietly. Or could it be someone in a medical field? She stared at Susan. Both Susan and Mark looked at her. They had forgotten she was in the room. Think about it. What appears to be the use of a scalpel, drugs, clean cuts, knows how to handle a needle. Everything is too precise. Too neat. You're right, Mark said. I am? Maggie was surprised that Mark agreed with her. Yes. This isn't a maniac off the streets. He or she is smart. Too damn smart if you ask me. After reading your reports, Maggie, and seeing these photos, I have a few ideas. I'm not going to say much yet. I'll work some more on it. But I know this much. This guy is well prepared. There are no footprints, no hair fibers, no real evidence. 
There are too many things about this case I don't like. I don't like it at all. Chapter 11 Jane watched the man wander alone from table to table for the past three hours. He stopped at a table for only a few minutes if men were seated. He preferred the tables where the women were alone or in a small group. He ordered drinks for one specific group of women, laughing and conversing loudly. Jane stirred her drink with her straw and took a sip, making sure she didn't touch the glass. She gazed at her image in the bar mirror. She had on a short, bouncy, black wig and white dress that showed the outline of her black undergarments. Her breasts were rounding their limits over the low neckline. She clicked her bright red nails against the countertop impatiently as she watched the man walk towards the bar in her direction. Jane swung around on the stool, her legs partially covered in thigh highs. She swung one high heel towards the man. Hi, she said seductively. Uh, hi. He motioned to the bartender, ordered a beer, and turned his attention back to Jane. So, you here by yourself? Jane noticed his eyes were stuck to her breasts. She leaned towards him, revealing her lacy black bra that barely covered her breasts. She licked her lips and smiled. Yes, all alone. So am I. You are? You looked pretty busy to me. Them? They're just old friends. Pretty friendly, Jane cooed. Well, I'm not with them now. No, you're not. And neither am I. Would you care for another drink? He asked. Sure, Jane smiled. They always fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Idiots, Jane thought. Hey, bartender. The man called out and clutched Jane's arm. Want to get a booth? Sure. Jane picked up her black purse from under her feet. They pushed a path through the crowded bar and found a back booth. Jane slid in and patted the seat next to her. The man sat next to her, his thigh touching hers. So, what's your name? Jane. You? Randy Scott. Well, Randy Scott, that's cute. Two first names, Jane giggled. What's a guy like you doing alone in a place like this? Isn't that my line? The man asked. It's not the 1950s, darling. You're right. Randy took a big gulp of his beer. I live here, above the bar, I mean. I come downstairs for the company. It gets pretty lonely sitting upstairs by myself. No girlfriend? No, too busy. I work 12 to 14 hours a day, and half my paycheck goes to my bitch of an ex-wife. So who can afford a girlfriend? Oh, you poor thing. Jane caressed his upper thigh. Yeah, ain't it? I mean, I... Randy was obviously squirming in his tight jeans. Well, I could be your girlfriend for the night. Jane flashed her eyes at him, her hands pressing down on his crotch. Sure, Randy stammered. I could be really good for you. Jane unzipped his pants. Hey, what are you doing? Being your girlfriend, isn't that what you wanted? Jane grabbed his penis between two fingers and slowly moved them up and down along the base. Yeah, but what's the matter, baby? Too fast for you. 
Jane squeezed lightly. No, no, I just don't, well, you know. No, what? Jane teased him more. No extra money. Oh, honey, you don't have to pay me anything. I just want to be your girlfriend for the night. Don't you want me to continue? God, yes. Randy's face went from embarrassment red to a deep flush of excitement. Jane grabbed his good hand with her free one. She put it on her inner thigh above her stocking. Feel good? She asked him. Randy's hand touched the softness of where her bare skin met the thigh highs. He made a soft moaning sound in his throat. A little higher. Don't be shy now. Jane pushed at his hand. Randy's hand went slowly up her skirt, hesitating when he heard the people in the next booth laughing. Jane pushed again at his hand. His hand touched her silky underpants. He softly caressed her mound. He took a deep breath in when his fingers touched pubic hair and soft flesh. He looked into Jane's eyes. He saw she had her eyes closed partially. She wiggled herself closer to his hand. His fingers slipped into her moisture and he started to move it. He watched her open her lips and start to breathe faster. Between the magic her fingers were working in his pants and watching her face, he was going to explode soon. He whispered to her that he couldn't hold it much longer. Jane didn't say anything. Instead, she grabbed the napkin from the table. He came into the napkin, sweat beating on his top lip. He leaned back in the booth with a satisfied grin. Jane moved away from him. A frown covered her face. Typical, she thought. He got what he wanted. Good God, that was great. Randy gulped his beer. Jane smiled with her face, but her eyes were hard and cold. She licked the finger he had inside of her earlier. There's more. There is? Randy asked in surprise. Well, honey, you stopped before I could get off. I need relief. But I like to do more than fingering under a booth, if you know what I mean. Sure. My place is upstairs. No, I have another place in mind. Where? Randy asked. I have a little hideout in the woods. The woods? Isn't it a little cold for that? Honey, I'm so hot. I don't feel cold. Besides, I like the feel of dirt and leaves under me. Well, I suppose my car is in the back. I'll meet you there. I have to pick up something on the way. Randy smirked. What do you have in mind? You'll see. I promise you this. It'll be a night you'll never forget. Jane grabbed his cell phone and typed in the location where he has to meet her. Okay, great. Randy gulped down the rest of his beer. I'll be waiting. I'll be watching. Jane smiled and walked away, her hips promising what lay ahead. I hope you enjoyed chapters 8 through 11 of Jane the Ripper. In Tuesday's episode, we'll see how Jane and Randy's date finished. Also, can Maggie and Mark work together, or will their past hinder them? You can find Daniel Nabert's other novels on Amazon. She has a vast collection to choose from. Many are free to read with Kindle Unlimited. To keep up with the various novels and authors that we will feature, you can follow My Secret Obsession on Facebook, Instagram, X, and TikTok at Cherish Lively, or visit the website at tinyurl.com slash cherishlively. 
Do you want to be a part of my secret obsession? I'm looking for secrets and tattletales to read aloud on the podcast. Do you know any small town secrets? Have you had a brush with danger that rocked your world? Are supernatural activities or hauntings keeping you up at night? Write your story and send it to my secret obsession podcast at gmail.com.